Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello and welcome back to the Karma Comic Chameleon Podcast. I'm Rob, and I hope you're having a wonderful day today. Today, we're jumping into some Tales from the Squad Car. Our first story today comes to us from Swole Patrol. Units, respond to the Ramada for a disturbance at the top of the stairs. Let's jump right in. This is a long one, I know, but I promise it's worth the read. Thank you for your time and for checking out my story. The Ramada was one of the two hotels in the sleepy mountain town where I was working at the time. Nestled in a downhill slope was the hotel, and across the street were the extended stay suites built by the same owners. In total, there were four staircases on the property, and I had no idea where to go. Can you clarify which stairs? The radio mic made the familiar metal-on-metal noise as I slid it back into place before muttering under my breath about the lack of dispatch information. The caller didn't specify, and we already disconnected. Of course you did. You always do. But when I crested the hill about 300 yards away from the hotel entrance, I knew exactly where I was going. I guess I lied when I said there were four staircases in play here. Over a decade ago, the owner of the Ramada went to the town council to request special permission to put up a tall, lighted sign advertising his business. When the council denied his request, he went back to the drawing board. There was no regulation. His lawyer advised him on building a staircase. So he built one, tall and sturdy out of steel, painted an appealing white seven stories tall, and at the top, he hung a bright red Ramada sign. This would be the fifth staircase, and usually, people respected the sign and gate on the ground level, warning people not to climb it. But today, there was a person sitting on the very top. His entire body was draped over the outside of the railing, feet dangling over the bright red lettering of the sign. I wasn't sure who he was or why he was there, but as I pulled into the parking lot, it became clear. He grabbed the railing with his hands and stood with his feet, leaning over to the most gut-wrenching ready position I have ever seen. This guy was prepared to jump at a moment's notice, right in front of me. My mind flashed back to a documentary I had watched before 
about a California highway patrol unit assigned to the Golden Gate Bridge. He had made a career of stopping jumpers, and he broke down his method. Start a conversation, build a rapport, find common ground, figure out what's going on, and ask about their plans for tomorrow. The plans for tomorrow part helped serve as a reminder that their life was bigger than whatever led them to this point. I never had any formal negotiation training, so this was my plan moving forward. This guy had recently come into some money, about $11,000 to be exact. He didn't trust a bank account because his parents stole all his money as a kid, so he kept it on his person at all times. His close group of friends all benefited from his newly found fortune. He paid for dental work and skateboards and car parts for all his buddies who couldn't afford those things on their own. Then, when he was down to his last few thousand dollars, those same friends got him blackout drunk, took his pants off him, took the money out of his pockets, and left him there to wake up alone and with nothing. The feeling of desperation which ensued led him to the top of this tower, ready to splatter himself on the pavement at 20 years old. While he was talking, little things about his mannerisms stuck out to me. His accent, the way he pronounced certain words. He was really high up, and the hot June sun was in my eyes, so I couldn't make out what he looked like, but I thought I recognized his voice. I called him by name and asked if he was who I thought he was. After a reflective pause, he answered between hopeless sobs, Yeah, it's me. This was the guy who, when he was a 15-year-old street kid getting hassled by the cops, I always treated him like a human being. I would let him scuff out his weed, back when it was still illegal, take him home after curfew, and just generally be decent to him. A recent, incredibly brutal home invasion left him with staples in his scalp, and surely the head trauma left him predisposed to feelings of depression and lowered inhibitions. But when I called him by name, he remembered me. He took a seat on the railing, still on the outside to remind me he was willing to jump, but also to show he was ready to negotiate. After what felt like a century, I had convinced him to come back over the railing and walk down the winding metal stairs to the ground. With each level, my anxiety shrunk. When he reached the ground, I shook his hand, gave him a hug, and took him to the hospital to get the help he was needing so badly in this state of crisis. I haven't seen him in a year or so now, but I still remember how glad I felt that day when he decided to come down. I still think about the kid at the top of the stairs from time to time. I can't imagine how many people this officer has to deal with, and the fact that they remembered the name of this kid after so long says a lot about this officer. I really hope that one day down the road, you run into this kid again, and they look at you and say, Hey, do you remember me? I want you to meet my family. Our next story today comes to us from These Ain't My Pants 2, Spooky Death Scene. Let's jump right in. So, I was on call when I was a homicide detective one night when I got a call from dispatch. I was told that an older gentleman called 911 and said his wife was dead and it was his fault. Dispatch asked if anyone else was home and he stated yes, but when asked who, he said nobody. I get there and she's dead on the couch with visible head trauma. Nothing crazy though. The first thing I always do at a scene is go room to room and make sure my crime scene isn't being contaminated and verify that nobody else is inside. I had deputies out in the garage with the suspect who was being very polite and cooperative. I check all the rooms and everything looks okay, and I'm standing in the kitchen with the LT and we are discussing the case. The way the house was set up, 
You can't see the front door from the kitchen, but it's just to the right of it with a partial wall separating the rooms. The living room is directly in front of the entryway, maybe 15 feet from the front door. So as I'm sitting there talking with the LT, when all of a sudden, we hear the front door creak and open. I get pissed because I think some clueless deputy is either walking into the crime scene or is letting someone else wander in. So as I round the corner to see the door, now about a foot open, I see nobody around. I figured someone must have walked away after they opened it, but there was an enclosed screen porch before you can get to the door. The screen door was locked from the inside, so there's no way anyone was able to get to the main front door. So me and the LT are both puzzled and figure, must have been the wind, maybe the door wasn't latched all the way, but just looked closed. However, when I put my hand on the door to push it, I felt that it was a heavy-duty steel exterior door, so it's very heavy, and there's no way possible wind did that. Even weirder was there was a straight line from the door to the body, so we are immediately creeped out, because there was no reasonable explanation. So I go into the garage and interview the husband suspect at length. As it turns out, and the evidence fully supported his explanation, she slipped and hit her head getting out of the shower. She didn't want to go to the hospital and wanted to go to sleep and he let her, so he felt that he was responsible for her death. He was probably 75 or 80 years old, but extremely lucid and clearly had no cognitive issues. We discussed his military time and some of his life when I first sat down and was building a rapport with him. So before I got up, I told him there was one last thing I had to clear up, which was on the 911 call when he said they weren't home alone. He laughed and said, I'd think he's crazy, but I explained that after over an hour of speaking with him, I felt he was certainly not crazy. He then started to explain that there are little people that live in his house. Obviously, I looked skeptical, but he explained that he's never actually seen them, but they're mischievous. They do things like flush toilets, take an item out of the cupboard, move things around, and open doors. I'm sure my eyes went wide as pie plates at this point. He asked me if it happened when I was inside, because he thought he had heard his front door open earlier. I nodded, and he thanked me profusely, saying he's so glad I experienced it, so he knows he's not losing his mind. At that point, my death case was determined to be accidental, and best I can figure, the little people opened the front door, so the dead wife's spirit could walk outside. So I got the F out of his haunted house. This is the kind of story that the officer would generally keep to themselves because who's gonna believe them in this case? This one just happened to be extremely lucky that their LT was there with them to back up the story. I'm guessing it's something their precinct will talk about for a very long time. Our next story today comes to us from Two Blue Zebras. Karen tries to work the system. Let's jump right in. I was called to a crash that occurred in a parking lot. We don't respond to those. The caller said it appeared the other driver had been drinking. We do respond to those. In many states, it's illegal to drink and drive even on private property. Now, it's a police matter. Well, en route, I saw that the log showed the dispatcher informed the caller we wouldn't be responding. Then, the caller said the other driver had been drinking, which was why they broadcast it to me. I had a good idea where this was going. I showed up to find an older truck had gone head-on into a newer sedan, but obviously at a low speed. The truck with its metal front bumper had almost no damage, 
The sedan, having crumpled like it's supposed to, was going to be thousands to repair, but at least no one was injured. I spoke to the caller first and got her side of the story. I was driving through the parking lot on about 10 miles per hour when I saw this truck drive in. He was looking to the left towards the building and away from me. He started turning towards me but still wasn't looking. I came to a complete stop and was like, oh no, he's not going to see me. Then he kept coming and hit me. He said he was distracted by his dog and he might have been drinking. Simple enough. I talked to the other driver, older gentleman, probably in his 70s and hunched over from age. I was going to the bank and missed my turn, so I turned in here and I was looking for my buddy. I just didn't see the other car and ran into her. It's totally my fault. I love it when stories agree, but with allegations of DUI, I have to investigate. When I spoke with him, he didn't smell like alcohol. His words weren't slurred. He was coherent and his statement made sense. I performed one field sobriety test to start and determined I didn't need to do any more. This driver gave me zero indications that he was under the influence. I asked them both, did you already exchange information? They had. Okay, that's it then. Have a good day. The Karen asked, so then for the report, do I go to your office or contact deputies? There is no report. This is not a police matter. Take care. So in this case, Karen called in and was told it wasn't a police matter. She decided to escalate the situation by saying the other person was probably drinking, even though she knew they weren't, just to get a police officer to respond. I honestly think in cases like this where we waste the time of the police departments, that there should be some kind of repercussion for that person, be it just a small fine ticket or whatever, but something so that they don't do it again. Our next story today comes to us from Uno Uno 5. FTO tells me I got the it factor. Let's jump right in. My FTO and I were working a night shift when we got a call about one of our locals. Apparently, he had just pointed a pew-pew at someone in the next town over while in the victim's own front yard. Some kind of dispute about her son. In any case, he was with two other people in a silver sedan, last seen scooting booty towards our jurisdiction. Knowing who he was, my FTO and I sat on both routes to his house waiting for him to make an appearance. We figured he was running for home, and sure enough, a short while later, here comes a silver passenger car pulling into his mother's driveway. One of those felony stops where your feet are on the ground before the car was stopped. We issue commands and start getting them out one at a time. FTO is doing commands, I'm doing pat-down, mop-up, and putting the occupants in separate patrol cars. County showed up just as we're getting the female driver out. Out walks main suspect's mom, yelling about police harassment and breaking out her cell phone to start recording. This woman is literally screaming at us about what a good boy her son is. He's 19 and already a convicted felon on probation. He has been previously found with a sawed-off pew-pew and charged with pew-pew violations. We run a canine around the car, which also hits on the driver's side passenger, where her son was just removed from. The first passenger I had kept yelling about who he was and how we should be scared. The normal hyperbole that comes with gangbangers, I didn't think much of it. Take his info and start running him for warrants. Turns out he's a top 10 most wanted for the county I work, so already a good pop. During the search, we seized a pew-pew from the back passenger seat and more narcotic surprise. Mom recording us immediately puts down the phone when my FTO turns with the pew-pew he just found in her son's seat. It was almost comical. 
Meanwhile, Mr. Top 10 has pissed his pants, literally. He's never been to jail, just managed to get into some serious trouble and be difficult to find. He keeps telling me about what a bad mother effer he is, sans pissed pants. I take him to jail for processing, and apparently he has a really small bladder because he again pisses his tidy whities while walking in for processing. He looks at me and says he has a UTI, and so he's been having bladder control issues. Right. He started talking crap again to look tough when I put him in a holding with a large group. I made sure to mention they watch where they step around top 10. They were all clowning the guy when I was walking out. I remember this stop fondly because it's also the night my FTO came to me afterwards and told me I was going to be real police, not just a wannabe. Years later, he became a magistrate and encouraged me to apply to be a sergeant. Really good guy and friend, he even officiated my wedding. Anyone else think that when mom stopped recording, the officer should have looked at them and said, no, no, mom, keep recording, get the whole story, so your recording matches our body cams. On another note, what do you think the guy's nickname was in jail once word got out that he'd wet his pants twice in the course of a single arrest? Too wet? Sloppy step? Puddles? Let me know in the comments down below. Our last story today comes to us from Donut Eater 32 Naked Lady Driving on the Highway. Let's jump right in. I think this happened in the summertime of 2013. I was still working patrol and I was dispatched to search for a reckless driver. A green sedan was seen ping-ponging off of the interstate's barriers. I started heading towards the area and was notified that the vehicle had crashed and came to a stop. I started driving code for blocking traffic and possible injuries. Fire department was dispatched already and was en route. I get to the accident scene and see a woman in her late 20s inside the vehicle, just staring out in a daze. As I got closer, I realized she was stark naked. I try to figure out what the heck is going on. Luckily, there were no other vehicles damaged, just her vehicle and some concrete barriers. I gathered her name and information. She was from a metroplex about two hours north of where she ended up at and didn't remember leaving her house or why she was driving south. We used to carry a care package kit for kids with blankets and teddy bears in our vehicles. I brought a blanket over to her so she could cover herself up. She seemed lucid enough. I didn't smell any odors consistent with the consumption of an alcoholic beverage emitting from her person and her eyes were not dilated. I was confused as to what to do next. She consented to a blood test after I read an affidavit to her. She was fully compliant and seemed to be confused as to why this happened too. The best course of action that I could come up with was to detain her under an emergency order of detention because she was a danger to herself and she was able to get a psych eval at the ER. She consented and gave me a blood sample, which I later sent off to the lab for screening. I was concerned that she may have abused prescription medication leading to her sleepwalk. The results came back negative for any medications and alcohol. It was the strangest thing I can remember happening. She seemed calm initially, followed by a more normal, why the F am I driving completely naked? Her parents drove down to the ER after I spoke to them about the accident and were concerned she just had some mental breakdown of some sort. Stories like these that don't have a conclusion to them and don't tell us what the answer was really get me a little bit upset. But you know what? It gives us a chance to speculate. Thank you for listening to the Karma Comic Chameleon podcast. Make sure to check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash karma comic chameleon and on Facebook at facebook.com slash kccrob.